I'm glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you're one of our guests, we invite you to stick around at our services, get to know us, let us get to know you as well. And as was mentioned earlier, happy Father's Day to all the fathers here. If you would, grab your Bible, turn to Proverbs 17, and I want us to read verse 6, Proverbs 17 and verse 6. Hear now the word of the true and living God. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. Let us pray. Father, as we turn our attention to the subject of human fathers, we pray that as our attention is focused on your word, that you would call us, fathers, to be what you would have us to be, molded and shaped after the image of Christ. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Every now and again, Something will happen in the Perez household, and the boys will be doting on their mother, and I'll say something to the effect of, well, what am I, chopped liver? Right? Which I know, of course, I'm not chopped liver. And, uh, but it's interesting how culturally that, that tends to happen. You see it time and again. The sitcoms usually present dad as... An imbecile, uh, the, the stopped clock that's only right twice a day, uh, he is uh, more, mostly there for comedic relief. Dad is chopped liver culturally. I, th- I think we see it increasingly uh, with the assault on manhood and masculinity. We'll talk about more how we define masculinity in a few minutes, but uh, Dad does not have a good reputation these days in many circles. And I also think about uh, the idea that is presented here, though, that is in, in sharp and striking contrast. In the proverb here, 17 and verse 6, that is far from being chopped liver. Dad is destiny, according to the wise man. Glory of children is their fathers. I've talked about this before. This is what drives and motivates children to say, look, Dad, when they're about to do something, even if it's as simple as sliding down a slide. The glory of children is their fathers. And I believe this is why, dad being destiny, why God calls fathers to disciple their families, certainly their children, the whole family, that God has put men in the unique position of leading their families and discipling their families. This is what we are calling this morning, Great Commission Fatherhood. On Mother's Day, we talked about Great Commission Motherhood. Today, we want to focus on Great Commission Fatherhood. 
And Scripture provides examples of men and fathers, and these examples are given to both warn and encourage us. A warning, 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. You will meet me in 1 Samuel. The beginning of this book we talked about on Mother's Day, and we, we looked at Hannah. And at the time, I talked about Eli, who was priest in Israel. And Eli sharply rebukes a woman who, it appears, is a perfect stranger. Put away your wine from yourself, he says to her. And I mentioned at that time that this is a rebuke that he will utter to a perfect stranger, but does not say it to his sons. Eli's sons are tied up, wrapped up in iniquity. They have followed in the family business of priesthood, but they are using that position of power to their own advantage and their own privilege. In fact, in chapter 3 and verse 13, when the boy Samuel is called by Yahweh, one of the things that is spoken to him in verse 13, 1 Samuel 3, 13, and I, this is God speaking through Samuel, I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. He did not restrain the iniquity and the sin and the blasphemy of his own sons. Again, to a woman who seems to be a perfect stranger, put away the wine from your wine from yourself. But he will not rebuke his sons. Oh, it's true. At the end of chapter two, you have Eli rebuking his sons. But it is interesting in verse twenty-two that he is very old when he does this. He's not done it when he was still a young man, or when his sons were yet young boys. Only then. After he kept hearing all that his sons were doing in Israel, did he even offer a, a protest? But listen to his protest in verse 23. Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is, not, it is no good report that I hear of the people of Yahweh spreading abroad. It's uh, rather weak. Very vague, general, no specifics here. That's his rebuke. And it's only when he's very old. And in fact, his sons, uh, when they hear this, the end of verse 25 says, they would not listen to the voice of their father. Just the old man. He's off his rocker anyway. No point in listening to him. But it's terrifying how verse 25 ends. Did you notice this? They did not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of Yahweh to put them to death. The next chapter reveals that it's going to be the boy Samuel who will succeed Eli and his sons. But one of the worst things, one of the worst things that can happen is when the best thing for your neighbors and even for a nation is for you and your sons to die. And that's what is happening with Eli and his sons. This is a warning. This is, this is uh, not masculinity that God 
honors. Eli, a very passive father, letting his sons run amok in Israel. Eli is a warning to us fathers. Are we listening? Again, the worst thing to happen is when the best thing for your neighbors and even for a nation is for you to die. That's the tragedy of Eli. Let's contrast this with an encouragement. Come to the New Testament, to Matthew chapters 1 and 2. It is very interesting, the parallels and the connections that are made between the books of Samuel and the book of Matthew. But you compare and you contrast, and one of the contrasts here is with Joseph, Jesus' earthly daddy, the man who has been charged to raise the Son of God. And what is very interesting is, you do not read of Joseph uttering a single word in the Gospels. He never says a word, at least none that's recorded, of course. No speech of his is recorded. And yet every time the Lord speaks to Joseph and calls Joseph to do something, whether we're talking about stay with Mary, because this is a holy thing from God, or whether it's you need to go down to Egypt for a little bit, or whether it's, all right, it's time to come back from Egypt. Every time that God speaks to Joseph, every time, Joseph is obedient to the Word of God. It is a silent obedience that we see here from Joseph. Never utters a word, and yet he is always obedient to the Word and the will of God. In fact, if we come to Luke chapter 2, after the boy Jesus, the baby Jesus, has been born, we see Joseph taking his family up to the temple. In Luke chapter 2, in verse uh, 22 through 24, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what it says in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young or two young pigeons. At the appropriate time, Joseph brings his family, Mary and Jesus, into the temple to present Jesus and for Mary's purification as it is written in the law of the Lord. You see Joseph, whether it is through the direct communication from God or whether it is through the Scriptures, Joseph is careful to heed, to hear, to obey, to fulfill the law of God. Again, a powerful testimony of just a silent, steadfast obedience to God. No speech of ours, brothers, will ever be recorded in the pages of Scripture. And yet we have clear revelation from God of what He desires of us in this world as men, as fathers, as husbands. What He desires and what He requires is the same steadfast obedience to Him. In everything, to hear, to heed, to obey, to fulfill His Word as men in this world. So Joseph is an encouragement of what it looks like for a man to lead 
their family with the word. There are other examples that can be multiplied from Scripture. I want to pull one from history that is uh, rather interesting. If I say the name Matthew Henry, I I think uh, most of us probably are familiar with Matthew Henry's commentary on the Bible. It's a a standard work, a standard reference work. Uh, We've at least heard of it. Maybe you've even uh, consulted it, read from it. I think just about any any man who's put together a, a lesson uh, has at one time or another looked to Matthew Henry and his comments on, on the Bible. So again, I, I think most people know about it. It's a very influential set of commentaries. But few people know that a major influence in Matthew Henry's life was his father, Philip Henry. Philip Henry was a nonconformist minister in England in the 17th century. He'd actually been ejected from his church through the Act of Uniformity that had been passed by the government, ejected along with around 2,000 other ministers at the time. And yet, that didn't stop Philip. He continued preaching, and every Sunday, one of the folks who was in church was little Matthew Henry. He loved to hear his father preach on Sundays, and it was one of Philip's sermons, the sermon on Psalm 51 and verse 17. When Matthew was only 10 years old, he heard that sermon, and that opened up and awakened within him a desire to know personally this Lord that's being talked about in Scripture. He would often hurry into his room after service, so that he could pray that God would seal this word in his heart. And the Lord answered those prayers. Because it's been noted that a great deal of Philip Henry is in Matthew Henry's commentaries, especially the the very short, pithy quotes that uh, often show up in Henry's commentary. Again, God calls fathers to disciple their families. And Philip Henry discipled his son Matthew, and he became an influential uh, minister, commentator on Scripture. This is what Great Commission fatherhood is about. This is nothing, as I said on Mother's Day, nothing earth-shattering here, okay? Not calling you to move to outer Slobobia and be a missionary forever. If you can do that, well and good. Uh, I encourage you in that, my brother. But fathers who embrace the Great Commission do so when they lead their family with God's Word and when they share the gospel with their families. I mentioned earlier about uh, the struggle to define masculinity that our culture faces. In fact, we are facing a crisis uh, when it comes to manhood in our nation. But that's because a lot of the times what we end up doing is we ended up defining Uh, masculinity in a variety of ways that are often disconnected from what God calls us to. You see, culturally, manhood is all about how many animals you can kill or whether or not you're good with mechanics and machines and, and that sort of thing, or whether or not you can bench press 400 pounds. You see, that's that's what manhood gets defined as a lot of the times. 
But again, that's often disconnected from what God has revealed. And look, I'm not saying that in and of themselves, hunting animals uh, in order to eat what you kill, not just for sport, by the way, but kill and eat, that's, God calls us to that in the book of Acts. Or if you can, you know, work on engines and, and mechanics and things like that, you know, if, if you're, you're good at fixing cars or whatever it is, well and good. There's a blessing that's attached to, to working with our hands. And if you can bench press 400 pounds, as long as you keep in mind that bodily exercise is of some value, but godliness has benefit for this life and the next, good, well and good. But what God defines as masculinity is whether or not you are leading others, and in particular, leading your family with His Word. And full disclosure, by the way, I'm speaking to you as a smooth man, all right? Uh, Remember Jacob and Esau? Esau was all hairy. Jacob was a smooth man. Esau was out there in the wilderness hunting game all the time. Jacob was back in the home, okay? That's, that's where I live. I could very easily turn around and say, you know, in order to be a, a real man, it's all about the man who reads, right? But again, that falls short because that becomes the end rather than a means to an end. God calls us, brothers, to lead others, and in particular, our families, with His Word. It's been long enough, I think I can remind us of this. Uh, on Mother's Day, I mentioned Suzuki. Remember this? When we think about Suzuki, we typically think vroom, vroom, right? But, but uh, Suzuki, Shinichi Suzuki, was all about training children to be efficient in playing a musical instrument, in particular the violin. That's, that's what uh, he leaned into. And he thought that children could learn how to play an instrument just like they could learn to speak their mother tongue. But he had, there, there were several key aspects to his method. You had to expose the child, and usually that could start even in utero. But all the music uh, in the house is, is geared toward as they got older. And then it involved uh, eventually uh, buying both the child and the parent the, the particular musical instrument. Uh, and, and so uh, the child and the parent would sit across from one another and, and, and they would play together. That was imitation. They would do this regularly. That was repetition, constantly doing that uh, day in and day out, regular practice. Uh, then when the child would hit a good note, at a boy, at a girl, the, the pat on the head, the pat on the back, that was encouragement, designed to encourage them to do that more and more. And then over time, they're refining their skills until they're able to be proficient with that particular instrument. Again, that's an illustration that was... It's good for the goose, it's good for the gander, right? Men, let me ask the same pointed questions. Are your children being exposed to the Bible in your home? Are you the one who is exposing them uh, to, to the Word? Do they see you, Dad, in the Word? Are you in the Word with them? Are you doing that over and over? Have you encouraged them when they explain some truth from God's Word to you? Just the other day, my oldest was listening to the Bible on his computer. I said, son, add a boy. That's great, right? And I, I pulled the, he was listening on headphones. I pulled the headphone jack out and I listened for a second. I said, ah, Philippians 3, right? He said, yeah. B- because, again, 
you absorb yourself with the Word that you ought to be familiar with it, right? And, and, and you, you recognize the voice of your shepherd, Dad, right? Uh, that's, are you helping them to refine their knowledge of God? Uh, again, just from my own experience, my boys, they regularly ask me questions, and, and a lot of them are very good questions uh, that I have to go, hmm, I'm going to have to think about that for a minute, right? Um, I, I, I referenced it earlier uh, or, or uh, at Mother's Day about, you know, people tend to think that, that children have shorter attention spans, that, that people, our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. But I demonstrated the folly of that and let me do it again, just briefly. Shorter attention spans, and yet you'll sit in a duck blind for hours on end, focused, looking. Or you'll sit fixing a, a particular, whatever it is, right? You'll sit and you'll work on that engine or stand and work for hours on end, giving focused attention to that thing. Or you'll sit and you'll listen to, to podcasts for hours on end about health and exercise and things like that. It isn't that our attention spans are shorter. It's what our hearts desire is what has changed. So dad, what does your heart desire and what desires are you stoking within the hearts of your children and your grandchildren, right? Because that's where some of you are these days, yes? And so let me just briefly note that we do recognize your devotion fathers the leadership that you are seeking to exert the influence you are seeking to impact others with we recognize that devotion that that devotion to Christ is absolutely vital to your calling you see Devotion is important because your faith, Dad, your faith is being witnessed by your children, by your grandchildren. They see it not only Sunday mornings, but they see how you're walking Tuesday mornings and Thursday afternoons and Saturday evenings. Day in and day out. And look, they, they can smell phony baloney, plastic. They can spot it. They can identify that fake faith from a mile away. That's why our faith needs to be real, needs to be genuine. We need to be devoted, to, be devoted to His Word. And we need, to, we need to exercise a real, genuine faith. In Christ, which is, by the way, that, that, that's all faith is, right? A fake faith, that's, that's hypocrisy. Faith is, that's just what it is, in itself is real and is genuine. Devotion, by the way, that's the active aspect of what we're talking about. That's, that's what we see with Joseph. The passive, where, 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 a man embraces passivity. That's what we see with Eli. We, as men, if we would truly be men of faith, need to reject passivity. 
But that's just step one, by the way. Rejecting passivity then leads to us to leads us to accept responsibility. The responsibility of leading our families and discipling our families with the word of the Lord. Sharing the gospel. Which, by the way, the gospel is not here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. Right? That's our response to the good news that Christ came, Christ died. Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. You reject passivity. You accept responsibility. Lead courageously. And then expect God's greater reward. And man, there's flesh all those out, but for another time, because I want to emphasize one more thing, and that is that Fathers, we support your spiritual mission. That is, we, the church. Your spiritual mission sounds like this, Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fatherhood is in itself a spiritual mission. And again, this is what the world and this is what culture misses. They miss the spiritual aspect of this, right? They, They recognize the institution of fatherhood, as it were, but they miss the spiritual component. But it is God who not only has created male and female, but He's also the one who organized the family at the very beginning, the mother and the father. And as the creator of this, he's the one who properly defines what each of these roles is and does. And specifically here, we see the spiritual mission of bringing up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The Lord's instruction. Where do I get that? You get it from his law, from his word. Again, why it is vital, men, that we be men who are absorbed in this world, uh, in this word. Let me just say one more thing. Fathers, I know the primary responsibility is upon us. It's not sole responsibility, though, because he's given you a helper uh, by design as well. A help, a suitable helper. Yes? This is Great Commission Fatherhood. And again, nothing, nothing earth-shattering, nothing new. It's what we've known deep down. It's what we know because it's what we're called to as men. But God honors this. He honors these efforts, these Great Commission efforts of fathers who seek to lead their families with His Word. There was a young, successful attorney who was... Uh, was asked about his success and, and where did that come from. He shared this. He said, The greatest gift I ever received was a gift I got one Christmas when my dad gave me a small box. Inside was a note saying, Son, this year I will give you 365 hours, an hour every day after dinner. It's yours. We'll talk about what you want to talk about. We'll go where you want to go. We'll play what you want to play. It will be your hour. 
He continued, my dad not only kept his promise, but every year he renewed it. And it was the greatest gift I ever had in my life. I am the result of his time. To an even greater degree, not just when it comes to practicing law, but to practicing uh, the, the Christian life. Our children, fathers, will be the result of how much time we spent with them, spiritually training them. That is destiny. The glory of children is their fathers. Indeed, that's what they crave, is time, and time well spent with them. Let's commit this to prayer. Again, Father, we, we need your help as fathers ourselves, as grandfathers as well, to do the, the things that we know we ought to do, to be the men we know we ought to be. And so we call upon you by your Holy Spirit who lives within each one of us. Help us to be men who are devoted to you, who seek your greater reward, and who seek to pass on the faith to the next generation and the generation after that. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.